you can now listen to Conning the Con ad-free on Apple subscription and buymeacoffee.com forward slash Conning the Con. But that is not all you will find there. I've got two little words for you. Tonka Trilogy. If you know, you know, right? And if you don't, keep listening to Conning the Con and it will all become clear soon enough. And if you want a sneak peek, head over to at Conning the Con on Instagram and get a look at the lighter side of this, well, very heavy con story. Simply click the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts for ad-free and bonus content. Or if you aren't an Apple user, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash conning the con, where on top of that ad-free and bonus content, you can access exclusive videos. You'll find all the links, as always, in the show notes. CrimeCon UK, the ultimate true crime event, returns to London on the 21st and 22nd of September 2024. CrimeCon UK is the world's leading true crime event and is partnered by True Crime, the expert-led channel available on your platform of choice. From fascinating sessions with some of the biggest names in true crime to raising a glass with your favourite podcasters, CrimeCon UK is an unforgettable way for you to really immerse yourself into the true crime community. I will be there with my co-host Catherine Schweit from Stop the Killing. So come and join us and don't forget to quote Ferris for your special 10% discount. Head to crimecon.co.uk to book your tickets today. And that discount code again, Ferris as in my last name. Ferris like the wheel, Ferris like Bueller, whatever way you choose to remember it. Don't forget to put it in and you'll get 10% off. Hi listeners, this is episode 12 of 14. As I mentioned last week, Emma is not only my little sister. For years, she's been sharing her wisdom online with her business, TheBreathEffect.com. Her background as a physiotherapist, breathing and stress coach have created a unique process for men and women around the globe to learn the tools to rewire their brain and reset their nervous system following trauma. And good news, you don't have to have dated a con man to benefit from her tools. So if you're ready to reset your relationship with stress and move from survival mode to thrive, then do check out one of her amazing online courses and retreats. Go to thebreatheffect.com to check out her breathing and stress relieving freebies today. As always, the links are in the show notes. And finally, don't forget to head over to our Instagram and Facebook pages at Conning the Con to get involved in the conversation. And of course, get a sneak peek at what's coming up on Wednesdays when we drop the trailers. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. So here's an age-old question. Can a leopard change its spots? And if so, how can you tell if that leopard has changed its spots permanently or has in fact just pulled on a zebra-printed onesie? In the case of Andrew Tonks, I cannot say one way or the other if he will ever change his spots, but in this episode, I'm going to give you an update, and from it, I'm sure you're going to draw your own conclusions. Coming up in this episode... And that's when, you know, I had that horrible feeling of, oh my God, this guy is is not this person he told me he was, He's he's given me a fake name... The board stated that Thompson had made good progress in prison and recognised where he'd gone wrong. I don't want to admit to something I'm innocent of, but my lawyer has said it could be a year before I could take it to that trial. So she has suggested that I fall on the sword and get out of here sooner. So I got this call today from the parole board. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Shadow dark upon the wall. This episode, we're going to be tying up the loose ends, starting with a deep dive back into Danielle's story. If you recall, once Andrew had fled New Zealand, he'd wasted literally not even a heartbeat before he was back on Tassie Tinder, where Danielle had unfortunately swiped right on his profile. But two months into their relationship, and with very little warning, Andrew up sticks back to New Zealand to apparently babysit one of his very nervous investors. 
cannot imagine why they'd be nervous. And that's where we pick back up on Danielle's story. So he was on a plane and he had Wi-Fi on the plane, so he was texting me the whole way uh, to the airport. He said, you know, I've I've got to turn my phone off. We're about to land. Um, I'll text you tonight when I get to wherever I've got to go. I said, no problem. Talk to you soon. And I didn't hear from him that night for the rest of the night, and I thought that was quite unusual for him. Um, because he's always in touch and always, you know, communicating with me. So I thought, oh, nothing of it. And I thought the next day I didn't hear from him and and that felt even more unusual and I started to panic a little bit because I thought, well, I know he had this long drive from the airport to where he needed to be and I thought maybe he had an accident. I was sending lots of text messages and none of them were going through and I was sending emails saying, what's going on? Where have you gone? I was looking on the internet for any car accidents and deaths that might have happened in that area at that time. It was actually a week later, exactly a week later, um, I'd said to my friends, the only excuse for not hearing from him from me is, you know, he, he better be either dead or in prison because they're the only two reasons as to why I shouldn't be hearing from him right now. So at the same time, Emma has flown from her hometown of Glenorchy, New Zealand, to be with me in London. Meanwhile, Danielle is left in Tasmania wondering where to look for information on the man that she knew as Andrew Thompson, not Andrew Tonks. But then she recalls a conversation she'd had with him over those months that they'd been dating. Now, I need to point out here that in a really odd coincidence... It turns out that Australians like to share more than just Russell Crowe and their love of our very famous New Zealand dessert, the pavlova, with us Kiwis. They also have a town by the name of Glenorchy. What are the chances? Who knew there was more than one outside of Scotland? So to be clear, the Glenorchy Danielle is referring to next is the one in Australia. Andrew mentioned that he played football for a Hobart team called Glenorchy. And I said to him that my cousin was like the the deputy mayor of Glenorchy at the time, something like that, and he also played football for for, for Glenorchy. And he said, oh, what's his name? And I told him. And um, I also sent a photo of my cousin to him. And he said, oh, that's named him by his nickname. And I, that just, you know, went past me at the time. But when I was trying to work out, why Andrew had disappeared, I, I stumbled across that message and it reminded me I might be able to ask my cousin, is this person who he says he is? And I sent a message and I said, can you tell me, did you play football with this guy? And he said, yeah, that's Tonka. And I said, you don't know him as Andrew Tom- uh, Thompson. And he sent me a screenshot of Andrew's Facebook profile that said Andrew Tonks with the photos that he had used on his Tinder. And that's when, you know, I had that horrible feeling of, oh, my God, this guy is is not this person he told me he was. He's, he's given me a fake name. And as far as I knew, he disappeared to New Zealand to bury with his wife and kids, probably. I I had no idea as to how far this, this ran. So I found all this out the morning that I'd started my shift at work and all I could do was jump on the internet in between serving customers and doing my usual thing. And I typed in Andrew Tonks, New Zealand. And of course, she stumbles across the headline in the Otago Daily Times from the 20th of December 2016, which reads, Fraudster jailed after theft to pay reparation. I was at work shocked as shit really didn't know how to react to it. I sort of figured he wasn't long out of prison when I met him and possibly the reason that he disappeared was because he'd done it again. So Danielle still doesn't know where Andrew is at that time, but she does know now his last name and she can work backwards from there. She does know a bit about his parents and she sends them an email. I just said, hello, I'm Danielle. I've been dating your son for for some time. He went to New Zealand and disappeared, and I'm just wondering if he's okay or if he had an accident. I'd got a response a couple of hours later from Andrew's father saying, 
Andrew was arrested at the airport. And that's where I found out, obviously, that he'd, he'd done it again. Needless to say, Danielle is in a state of shock, wondering what kind of bullet she's just swerved. But she picks herself back up, dusts herself off, and goes about trying to forget that Andrew Tonks had ever been in her life. The only trace of him was the little seed of self-doubt that he'd planted in her own ability to trust her instincts. Maybe she thought her bullshit detector was faulty. In the coming months, life moves on. Until the moment Danielle discovers Andrew isn't quite finished with her the same way that she's finished with him. And it was at that point that I'd received a letter at my workplace with my name spelt horribly wrong. It was from from Andrew from prison. And on the back of the letter had his Andrew Thompson on it, which insulted me greatly because I thought, I know who you are. Don't lie to me. I'm already sick of your shit. And it was this quite a, quite a lengthy uh, letter just explaining where he is and the charges and why it was all just uh, a misunderstanding and a you know a disgruntled ex-girlfriend and all of these these things where he was the victim he was always the victim he never did anything wrong i was such shock last time i got some bad legal advice and didn't understand how harsh the new zealand legal system was i was managing a rental car company Some cash had gone missing on my watch, so I thought I'd do the right thing and put my hand up and take responsibility. Didn't think the GM would ever assume or think it was me, but damn, I was wrong. Problem was, while on bail for that, I changed a car loan doc to get some money into my account. Stupid me for that. But because it was considered an offence while on bail, I got slammed. I was not guilty of taking the cash from the rental car company, but I used to gamble and drink a lot. A bad habit as a result of owning a restaurant. So my lawyer thought using that behaviour would get me off both issues. Unfortunately, did the opposite. As usual, Andrew's version of the truth doesn't quite marry up with the judge's response to his explanation. Turns out you can't use gambling and drinking as an excuse for both theft and deceit. I have a court date on the 22nd of August. This is for electronic monitored bail. But being Australian and especially the involvement of this particular detective, I'm not getting my hopes up. Bail is a bit like winning the lotto. They gave it to a biker the other day. He was caught with 50 handguns. They also gave it to a drug smuggler. But they treat me as a risk because I'm a businessman with a computer. Go figure. Go figure indeed. And can I just add that that particular detective is Detective Matt, who holds the current hat trick for arrests on Andrew Tonks, Gotta love his work. So how did Andrew explain away his current incarceration to Danielle? Well, by stepping up and taking full responsibility for his actions, of course. Just kidding. Last time I was guilty of being an idiot who had a bad drinking and gambling problem from having my restaurant and the like. This time, I'm guilty of being an idiot who simply wanted to make up for lost time and create a good life for everyone around me. So it took me a few days to decide whether I was going to write back. But I thought I, I really want to have my say now because it had been months since he disappeared. And, and I just wanted to have my say and just say, I know who you are. I know what you've done, you piece of shit. And that's, that's what I wanted to do. And I said, don't take me sending you a response letter as some sort of weakness. Don't mistake it. And, and I just wanted to have my say. Anyway, not long after that, a couple of weeks perhaps, I received a second letter. In that first letter, I'd said, stop lying. Just just tell me what you've done. Tell me what you've done this time. Admit to what you did last time. And if, you know, if, you, if you're a half-decent bloke, you'll, you'll tell me the truth. So the return letter had absolutely zero to do with his first case, everything to do why the, the the current case was all trumped up charges and I'm going to be out soon and the, the lawyer said that, you know, it's all crap and it'll get thrown out and articles were coming up on the on the internet as to what he'd done, what he what what he was actually charged with this time. And to see the, the figure of the three hundred odd thousand dollars that he'd stolen really horrified me because I thought that can't be one person. That has to be several people. Like how many people has he pulled into this? 
So Andrew does respond to Danielle's questioning on what he is actually charged with this time. And in his letter, there is an itemized checklist of each charge, accompanied by an Andrew explanation, followed by his own verdict. If you recall, Andrew had used a document stating he had cash and assets that were valued in the millions, a document that he'd shown to lawyers, the banks, and of course, my sister Emma. And his response to the three charges related to using that forged document was this. This is a very grey area, as there is no crime on the evidence, but the spreadsheet included some historic business interests, so it could be seen as deceptive. Obtain loan from X, not guilty. Proof everywhere. This holds the harshest punishment, but very outlandish claims by the police. So lawyer thinks they have just used this to try and keep me away from Queenstown. And the lack of accountability, it doesn't end there. He goes on to address the charge related to the $300,000 that he had tried to steal from Emma, citing they had a civil agreement that he had followed to the letter. This was paid so far in advance that no default has occurred even while in here, and that made the detective look bad. This equals not guilty. I am furious about this charge as it couldn't be further from the truth of what we discussed. I received a few more letters in this time and each letter would come with um, graffiti art all over the envelopes, very colourful graffiti art that he'd been learning in prison. Some of those letters contained some colouring in pages that I could do in my in my downtime to relax because apparently conversing with a convicted con man wasn't relaxing enough. Danielle wasn't joking about the artwork. Picture those mindfulness colouring in books for adults that have been so popular in the last few years. And hey, maybe there is a niche for Andrew to create his own colouring in book series in the future. Sketchy Sketches by Mr Sketchy's got quite a nice ring to it, I think. So whilst Danielle was carefully trying not to go outside the lines on the beautifully crafted skull on the letter, she could get a glimpse inside the workings of Andrew's skull. And, no surprise, there was a resounding lack of ownership and accountability in there. I finally got myself in the right headspace to read my disclosure from the police. This shows what they have, including statements from the police, my ex and the company's office. Well, as I thought, what a load of rubbish. They actually have proven me innocent in their own statements. It very much leads towards entrapment on a few of the larger charges. But the Crown prosecutors, who are much better to deal with this, will see a number of holes, so keep those fingers crossed. I don't want to admit to something I'm innocent of and then be stuck with that label for life, but my lawyer has said it could be a year before I could take it to that trial to prove my innocence. So she has suggested that I fall on the sword and get out of here sooner. That goes against every fibre in my body, but I want to get home as soon as possible. I'm so wild tonight because if I take that option, Emma will take that me as admitting guilt and she will be out for blood and trying to destroy my name. I can't believe how corrupt that system is. I'm back. Sorry. Shawshank Redemption was on TV last night. A must-watch while stuck in these places. Looks like I'm going to need to fall on my sword. I'm about to write my letter to the judge, explaining that the civil agreement we have benefited Emma's life heaps more but my only desire is to ensure she doesn't miss out on her money because of my punishment. Hopefully hold some weight with decision-making when my time comes. I I still do have these letters, which I don't know why I held on to them, but I'm glad that I did. And the the funny thing is when, when an article came out and it said that the reason Andrew had gone back to New Zealand that particular date, he was under the impression that he could come back and strike up a, a relationship with with you, Emma. And that was the point where I got pissed off. This guy's a convicted criminal. He's done it a second time. He's done all these things. And then I went, oh, and you were saying another chick? Right, that's it. I'm not talking to you anymore. Like, it's really ridiculous that that's where my brain went. That was the point when I, I cut it off. He kept writing to me after that. I never responded to any of it. And the last I um, heard from Andrew was a Christmas card. And only a couple of weeks ago, I received this strange email and I wasn't going to open it because I thought it might have been one of those scam emails where you open it and there's a virus. For some reason, something clicked in my head and said, open that. 
and I looked at the email ad address that it came from. I opened it and it was a scanned uh, handwritten letter from Andrew dated uh, July 2019 and I'd only received it in early February and I thought this is weird what's going on here. I read the letter and it said that he was denied parole in July but to try again in December. Afterwards I wondered to myself why did he keep me around because I financially I had you know nothing to give him so he had nothing to scam out of me but I thought why did he keep me around so I have a degree in business management accounting marketing and franchising and I thought the accounting side of things maybe because he'd need to do some pretty creative accounting if he's stealing money off someone and I thought maybe that's why he kept me around and the other side of things was he talked about these innovations that he'd thought of and I'd passed his contact details on to my friend because he, he wanted to ask what's the process, what do I need to do to, to get my my invention into the system and patented. And then a friend in Victoria, she was a real estate agent, owned a real estate business and she was also a property developer and a very, very successful one. And I said to him, you know, maybe give her a call and, and, you know, see if it's something that she's interested in investing in. Afterwards, when it all fell out, I contacted her and said, oh, my God, this guy's actually a convicted con man. And she said, I didn't give him anything. And she said, has he ever worked in property development? And I said, I, I don't think so. I've never been able to find anything. She said, he absolutely Walk the walk. I believed 100% that this guy has done property development 100 times over. And in the end, you know, he probably hadn't. He just knew what to say and, and how to sell it. So I felt terrible that I'd exposed my friends and family to, to this person. And I believe strongly that that's most likely the reason Andrew kept me around is to access a family member who had uh, recently lost their husband and had a pretty decent uh, life insurance payout. My friend with the medical innovation, his uh, patent, his business is for sale in the US for um, $70 million. So I imagine that rang some pretty awesome sirens for Andrew when I mentioned those kind of numbers. He wanted access to my friend who was a property developer because she used to invest and was very good at getting all these things done. We obviously can't say for sure what Andrew's angle was making those connections with Danielle's friends, but over the six months that Emma dated Andrew, I can tell you there was absolutely zero mentions of any ideas that he was planning to patent. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, fellow true crime aficionados. I've stumbled upon the ultimate hidden gem, Dakota Spotlight by James Wollner. It's a revelation. Picture this. Thoroughly researched, original, and peppered with real interviews. No sensationalism here. Just gripping storytelling with heart. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll always want more. So cozy up and join me on the edge of your seat. Trust me, this podcast is the real deal. Start with the Mandan murders and prepare to be hooked. Let's uncover this treasure together. Listen to Dakota Spotlight. <sighs> I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? <sighs> Download. American Vigilante, now. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but, you know. Say, we're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. There's your first challenge of the week. <laughs> Avoid elephants. Elephant. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. 
You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Okay, so it's Sunday, January 19th. 19th. For nearly a year, my friend Aria dated men she met online. Lots of duds, disappointments, and some disasters. But then along came Mordecai, and Aria fell hard. I opened the door. There was a woman standing there, and she said, I think you know someone named Mordecai Horowitz? And I said, oh, you better come in. In 2019, a friend of mine fell for a sensitive millionaire named Mordecai. And then she found out she wasn't the only one. It was way too good to be true. I'm Kathleen Goldhar, the host of Do You Know Mordecai from USG Audio. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. The other thing he said that was was one of those giveaway moments was I asked him if he had a nickname. I said, do people always just call you Andrew or are you Andy or do they call you Drew? And he said, they call me Tonka. And at the time I thought maybe because he's built like a Tonka truck. And, you know, in hindsight when I found out his surname, I went, oh, yeah, well, that's how you get Tonka. It's been really interesting because because I'd cut off contact with him I, I felt like it was very much, you know, in the past that I was able to, you know, forget about him and not feel that, that you know, betrayal and that effect of, of knowing him. But um, <clears throat> connecting with you girls, it, I found it really important uh, to do. As, as nervous as I was to reach out in the beginning, it was just good to know that you weren't alone. Like I knew that there were other people that he'd conned but I, I didn't know what had happened to them. And then listening to the podcast so far, especially the first episode, was just like, oh, my God, that, that happened to me. Oh, yep, it's the same. And, and it was like I could envisage what he was wearing and how he was sitting at the restaurant with you, Emma, and the things he was saying and the way he behaved. It was like I was back there, like it was like a – weird out-of-body moment, I suppose, and very, very relatable. When it just came to that first initial meeting and those impressions, those lasting impressions and the things that, you know, you did together and that felt very relatable. So reaching out to you guys has probably been quite healing in the end, you know, taking back a bit of power. It's not that I... I do feel like I lost power because I still don't trust anyone. I still don't put myself out there. I'm very closed off. I missed some really good opportunities because of all the crap that was going on with Andrew at the time. I was studying paramedicine at the time that I met Andrew, close to the end, and then when he disappeared and then I found out who he was and all of the stuff that he'd done really got inside my head about, you know, my capabilities and my level of judgment and how that would affect me working as a as a paramedic although he didn't take money from my pocket I do feel like he ripped me off from though you know those fees and that career and that opportunity yeah and I still don't have that interest in going back into the medical field maybe just because of the stigma that's attached to that and that time and Andrew so, yeah, that's that's what I feel like I lost from him. Andrew may not have stolen from Danielle like he had from his other targets, Kate and Emma, but getting caught up with an agent of chaos like Andrew clearly has had a lasting impact on how she moves forward and finds trust again. Kate, Emma and Danielle were all members of a club they wished they had never joined. Andrew's targets had all paid a hefty membership fee in one way or another. And at the end of our conversation, Danielle had asked if there was something that linked them all, something that had put them on Andrew's radar in the first place. That research we've talked about previously around that predatory memory that 
con artists are really good at identifying vulnerable females. What makes someone vulnerable can be that isolation and, and not having a good support network. But also I think there are these other really like lovely, lovely traits and parts of ourselves, you know, like naivety or having a really positive outlook on life and wanting to see the best in people. All those traits can also be vulnerabilities as well. So it's not necessarily saying, you know, to harden yourself and, and not have these traits because some of them are quite lovely, but just being aware, I guess, of your vulnerability points and just knowing how someone could potentially use that to their advantage and just just being a little bit watchful, I suppose. The beginning of this series started with that single fateful swipe to the right on a dating app by my sister Emma. And it's been a long journey to get to where we are right now. When we began, we thought we knew the ending, that it had already been written. But with almost perfect dramatic timing, Andrew has managed to take us right back to where we began. With a woman in Auckland, New Zealand, deciding to start the new year of 2021 on a dating app and swiping right on the profile of a man just out there looking for love and maybe a second chance. I have just got off the phone with the journalist that was at the sentencing for Andrew. So this guy saw me at my most raw moments where I was doing my victim impact statement and understands what I've been through. And he starts with the fact that he's been approached by a woman that met Andrew just last week and she met him via Bumble dating app. Apparently he is out of jail and I did not know that. I hadn't been notified at all by the parole office or whoever is supposed to notify victims to say when somebody is released. And apparently he's been out for a few weeks. So I'm a little bit in shock, a little bit in anger mode and also kind of hysterical that this guy has blatantly gone out and only a few weeks after being released from jail, not only dating but lying blatantly lying. The journalist had not only spoken to the woman who had met Andrew on Bumble, but had also spent 20 minutes talking directly to Andrew to get his take on the story, and then released it in an article dated the 28th of January 2021 on the stuff.co.nz website, and the links will be in the show notes. It reads, convicted conman looking for love blocked from dating app, and it goes on to say, A convicted conman who defrauded a woman on Tinder has now been blocked from another online dating app. Andrew W.C. Tonks Thompson, cheap as that's getting to be a mouthful, now living in Auckland, said he was absolutely not on the dating app Bumble looking for someone to take money from. He says he's looking for love and a second chance. I guess the question that springs to my mind is, a second chance at what? The article then goes on to quote Andrew. I'm interested in getting on with my life. I'm lonely and stuck in New Zealand due to the parole board's decision to keep me here. So Blair, who's the journalist, is is so good to talk to because he was in that moment with me and he he said that he deals with all the high court and the terrible traumas and stuff that he sees in court all the time. And somehow he blocks out a lot of that stuff. But my story and hearing that over a year ago now still sticks with him and hearing the victim impact statement. So all I know at this point is that this woman did go on a date with him. In this date, he claimed that he had been involved in a counter-terrorism contract (gasps) and that, I know, still claiming the spy job, but from the start. So he even just, apparently he mentioned March 15th which is the date of the terrorist attack in Christchurch and being... Oh, my God, that is so sick. It's so sick, the fact that he will utilise somebody else's pain in that way. In the article, the journalist asked Andrew about his counterterrorism claims, and this was his response. There's just no comment that can be made. There's nothing there. There's two sides to every story, and I can't comment on that. For me, he waited several months before he dropped that kind of concept. 
she's bombed straight into it in the first one. Like it's like the lies escalate as he goes through. She's she's me two years ago. And what a sliding doors moment for her. I think just for me right now, it's thinking that he's actually out there and and he's not in the South Island apparently. But again, didn't know that. He's in the Auckland district area. And so I only found out that he's only a few weeks, few weeks ago he's been released. I don't know if that's two weeks. Was it Christmas he saw out of jail? And it means he only served about 18 months of that 28-month sentence. What the fuck is wrong with our justice system? Yeah, it does feel like something isn't quite working there. But maybe we shouldn't be too worried because according to the article, Angie was absolutely not on Bumble looking for someone to take money from. I'm hoping to meet someone who might be able to see that you can change from a lesson and move on. I don't want to put anyone through the grief I put Emma through. Later on in the article, it says the board stated that Thompson had made good progress in prison, completed courses and recognised where he'd gone wrong in his decisions and his thinking and the damage that he had caused to his victim, not just financially. Thompson told Stuff he had absolutely no reasonable answer for his 2019 offending. I was in a bad headspace, living beyond my means and trying to make a name for myself in New Zealand. Trying to be a big player, I suppose. The article continues stating Thompson said he knew he could be a cautionary tale, which of course is the intention of this very podcast that you're listening to right now. And I think it's great that he recognises the value in Emma and I sharing this story. He then goes on to say, I have romantic notions of maybe one day having a family of my own, but that's probably impossible with my history, unfortunately. I'm just going to have to change my tack on that, just find happiness by myself. The article finishes, and I quote, he has no plans to change his names, as he said it would be disrespectful to his family. We're just going to have to learn how to deal with it. The Google searches are a killer. They may be a killer for Andrew, but actually they are in fact a safety net for the rest of us. So having dropped off that radar of victim support, it's fair to say that Emma was completely blindsided when the journalist called her asking for her comments. Angry that he's gone out and made the same lies. Well, I'm pretty annoyed at the fact that I didn't get notified about it. That like every time I get told about these things, it's from a journalist who turns out to be a really lovely journalist, but every time I find out from them. And where is this protection of someone that's been through this this pain and this hurt? I mean, even education on that, like how am I supposed to know that I have to get myself registered to not be notified? I think the fact that he's claiming his account of terrorism contract is probably like, you know, maybe you could say he could pretend that he was a restaurateur and that did go south because it did, you know, let's be honest. He tried to buy the restaurant in Hobart yeah, and he screwed that up. So for a blip of a moment, he owned a restaurant and then destroyed people's lives as part of that process. So partial truth there. Never, yeah. ever was he a counterterrorism contractor. <laughs> no. And I actually, I thought about it today. I was driving um, through for work and and I was listening to one of our earlier episodes just to kind of prepare me as they come out. So I listened to episode two and that connection of what it was like and that that communication style and how it kind of kept, it just kind of keeps happening because he was just so Switzerland. He never pissed me off. He was always neutral with things. He never pushed buttons. It was always just just keeping it moving in this gentle way. How the fuck does this man get away doing doing this again? Well, Emma, he hasn't. No. This time. That's, yeah. This time. This time. At the time of recording, we had been informed that the parole board was likely to recall Andrew to prison because as it turns out, use of devices that connected to the internet had parole conditions attached to them and downloading Bumble was a clear violation. According to the parole documents, he'd been given written approval to, yes, possess a phone, but only for the purposes of maintaining contact with his family and friends in Australia. The parole documents then go on to say, though, that on the 26th of January, Mr Thompson downloaded the dating app Bumble, made contact with a woman. He had one date with that woman, but over time represented himself as a businessman. 
He said he was involved in a $40 million house build in Queenstown and that he had considerable assets. Also, that he was building a multi-million dollar project for some people in Sydney. Now, I don't know about you, but that's all starting to sound very familiar. And the police seemed very confident that he would be recalled immediately. Well, immediately soon turned into days. Days turned into weeks. And weeks turned into almost two months until, in an ironic twist of the calendar, Emma finally gets the parole board's decision on April Fool's Day. So for two months, I've been waiting to hear if that was going to be enough to stop him and to make him go back to to jail and finish the rest of his sentence. So I got this call today from the parole board. And I'm really pissed because the justice system does not seem to be working for the people that have gone through this, for the victims. And I hate that word. And so the lady said to me today that they had done a final recall today and granted final recall at the hearing, which means they could add or remove conditions. But they then, the fact that they were going to recall him to prison, but then they gave him immediate release on parole. To get an understanding of what that actually means, we're going to look a little bit deeper at the Parole Board's report, starting with the Crown. Now, their main points are that downloading the dating app was a disregard for the phone's intended use, and that his pattern of behaviour resembles behaviour he undertook in the lead-up to his prior offending. And finally, that there were deliberate efforts to deceive the woman that he approached. The Crown's submission is that he had indeed breached his release conditions and, and I quote, he is an undue risk to the safety of the community. So as you read through, it seems pretty black and white. They're highlighting the similarity to past behaviours that led to offending last time. Andrew gets a right of response, which he does via his counsel. And in it, they acknowledge that he did indeed fall into a pattern of dishonesty, but that his intention was friendship. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I always find friendship is best underpinned with a foundation of honesty, not heroic myths of counter-terror missions. As we know, Andrew loves to write, and so he writes what is described in the report as a candid letter to the board, in which he admitted that he had met someone new and had just built a backstory. He then drew an analogy between his feelings and thoughts with an alcoholic or a gambler being released from rehabilitation into Las Vegas. I love a good analogy, but am I right in thinking he was referring to deceit and theft as the addiction and the dating app as his Las Vegas? I'm confused on that one. So taking into account all the submissions before the board, they rule that in fact, and I quote, that the grounds for recall are made out, that Mr. Thompson poses an undue risk to the safety of the community. So if like Emma and I, you're thinking that means he'll be returning to prison, you're about to be disappointed. And I don't pretend to know the complexities of the justice system. And I'm sure that there are many factors that the board has to carefully weigh up. They aren't called the scales of justice for nothing. But from purely a victim's point of view, I'm not sure that this feels like justice. He's been found an undue risk to the community, but the board considers that Mr. Thompson's risks may be mitigated by way of adding a few more special conditions to his release on top of the other standard conditions. Special conditions like this, that any electronic device that he has been allowed to access is to be made available to Andrew's probation officer for monitoring of his use. Now, I don't know about the probation officers, but I certainly hope they have some mad phone tech skills because Anyone with a teenager will know how hard it is to truly audit a phone. So in summary, yes, he was found to be a risk. But with those few additional conditions placed on his parole, he can return to the community immediately. His parole terms will continue for six months after his sentence expiry date, which is the 12th of October 2021. As of April 2022, he will have been deemed to have served his time. And again, I'm not qualified to make a comment on whether this is or is not the right course of action to serve our community as a whole, but I do know how it makes the victim feel. I'm really, I'm really angry actually today. So nothing actually has changed. No justice again. I don't understand when someone breaks the rules, why do we not hold them accountable? that as much as I fight myself for protection and justice, it 
does not seem to be there from the New Zealand justice system. And I am someone that is fighting to get support, to get to get heard so that others can be heard. And yet, this is what you get. So I'm sad today. I'm angry. I'm frustrated that this is the way it ends. I just wish that for once the justice system worked in the favour of the victim. It is stated twice in that parole board statement that Andrew W.C. Thompson Tonks or whatever his name is, is an undue risk to the community. And yet, he is currently out in that community. But he's not the only one. I think he actually hit the nail on the head when he told the newspaper reporter that he is a cautionary tale and it's one that we can all learn from. The Department of Corrections website data shows that the rate of reoffending for crimes classed as dishonesty, like fraud and theft, is a staggering 73%. Perhaps the lesson is that we need to all look at how our justice system serves us as a community, wherever you are in the world. It has become pretty clear that changing the behaviour of a serial fraudster has a very slim success rate, but through educating ourselves on the red flags and techniques that they use, we can, hopefully, make it that much harder for them to find their next target. So don't miss next week's episode, episode 13. It's called Concerning Red Flags, and hopefully will arm you with the tools to assess whether a leopard has changed his spots or is in fact wearing a zebra-printed onesie. But for now, I'm going to leave you with the reflections of my brave and resilient little sister, Emma. Throughout this podcast, I wanted you to hear my raw emotions, and it's why I haven't held back. I wanted you to hear every side to this experience, and not because I want you to feel my pain or feel traumatised by this story. I actually want you to realize that I'm just one person that has been through the system, that has felt unheard, unsupported, and that justice was not served, and that I want a change to happen. I'm lucky that I have the resilience I do, that I have the tools to bring me back, that I can express my emotions and get through this. Many people don't. They don't have the structure around them to get through it, and that is what I guess burns inside me going forward is this resetting of what justice looks like. I have fought to take the power back and I will do it again. I will fight for others as we move forward out of this to influence how we support people in New Zealand. And if it is just that somebody in the justice system listens to this podcast and says, that was not good enough, then my job is done. It's not a story about a con man. It's not a story about my own pain. It's about a story of growth, change and bravery. And it's something that we all have inside us. If you liked our story, please share with family and friends and like, subscribe and review so others can learn from my lessons. If you or anyone you know has been affected by something similar, please reach out for help. You are not alone. We've included some links in our show notes. Conning the Con was made with the input of Dr. Sophie Muir and the original music is by the talented Aroha Min. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing. I'm Sarah Ferris. 
Join me and my co-host, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program, Catherine Schweit. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've watched the reality of poor planning. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I really sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Our hope is that together we can stop the cries of never again fading into until next time. Hello, my tribe of true crime addicts. It's Sarah from Conning the Con podcast here. And I imagine you and I have quite a bit in common. I am a complete true crime podcast junkie. And having had the opportunity to go to Crime Con 2021 and meet all my fellow podcasters on Podcast Row, well, I was like a kid in a candy store. Not to mention all of the incredible speakers, exhibitors, authors that were also spilling the tea there all weekend long. So don't miss out on the next Crime Con. It's in June on the 11th and 12th in London 2022. Trust me, you don't want FOMO. Don't forget to use the code CTHEC at checkout to get your exclusive Conning the Con discount. That's C-the-C. You know, like calling the con. I can't wait to meet you all there. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Listen to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. It's a fun show about weird stuff. New episodes every Wednesday, yeah, eggheads. I'm Art. And I'm Andy, and Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time is a podcast about conspiracies, the paranormal, UFOs, unsolved mysteries. We're going to be discussing the Kennedy assassinations. Oh yeah, that's his nickname, finger-banging Bob Lazar. Give me some aliens with some good frickin' spacecraft. The whole enchilada. (laughs) The only thing bigger than Bigfoot's feet are our egos. If you like simulation theory, ancient history, egghead science, and Mandela effect, that kind of stuff. So check it out. New episodes every Wednesday. All the links you need on MrBunkersConspiracyTime.com. And we'll see you in the bunker.